Good morning. My name is Ritika Kocher of Delhi ki Diva and today I'm going to be talking about a sacred space in Delhi. The Nizamuddin Bauli or Stepwell that was built by Hazrat Nizamuddin Aulia in the year 1321 to 22. Don't stand outside there. Come on in here. The Nizamuddin Stepwell of Bauli has been functional for over 700 years and not just as a place of worship. While Nizamuddin's Dargah which is nearby is considered holy, but the Bauli is the only surviving stepwell in Delhi which still has underground springs and is still used for drinking water. The water from this Bauli is considered to have miraculous powers and continues to be held in reverence. and it's actually a study in why many holy men set up a water bodies around their tombs but the nizamuddin bauli around it and from it have risen a series of tombs caravanserais and even townships that have used the spring and today it's been rejuvenated into a garden that is seen as groundbreaking for restoring other water bodies and for the diversity of flowers plants birds and other creatures that have come from it Today we are going to be talking to the person who is responsible for this. Ratish Nanda is the CEO of the Aga Khan Trust for Culture in India. He is also responsible for some of the most fascinating restorations in Asia. He's worked on the Bagh-e Babar or the tombs of Babar and its gardens outside Kabul. He's then worked on the restoration of the gardens around Humayun's tomb in Delhi. He has been in charge of the Nizamuddin Urban Renewal Initiative in Delhi and the conservation initiative in the Kuli Qutub Shah Heritage Park in Hyderabad. In Delhi, the Nizamuddin Urban Renewal Initiative has completed the garden restoration work at Himayu's tomb, the gardens, tombs, and biodiversity park in Sundar Nursery, and is now working on Akbar's Prime Minister Abdul Rahim Khan Khan's tomb on Nila Gumbad, as we call it. This area is also the first privately funded restoration of a World Heritage Site in India, which is undertaken by the Aga Khan Trust for Culture and the Archaeological Survey of India under the National Culture Fund. The Time magazine has named Sundar Nursery as one of the 100 best places in the world. UK's Monocol magazine has called Sundar Nursery a horticultural and ecological haven with restored Mughal era monuments and fountains that bring a breath of fresh air to northern India. Sundar Nursery stands as a testimony of how environmental development and urban renewal can go hand in hand. And Ratish Nanda is the man in charge of the sounds of birds twittering, the peacocks screeching, the swings hanging from the ancient trees. the many fashion art and music shows that bring delhi to this haven and the sounds of the water flowing which isn't found in many parts of india so welcome ritish pleasure ritish what practice in your childhood you now realize was sustainable before i get into the question you know i am a conservation architect and i've been working for the contrast culture for over 20 years but i can take no individual credit for sundar nursery it was designed by professor mohammad shahir who was a landscape architect unfortunately passed away and uh, sundar nursery is also in line of about 10 different parks that the other contrast for culture has built across the world the park we did in cairo called alazar park attracts more visitors than the pyramids in cairo which is quite a quite a achievement but we also have parks in kabul zanzibar mali just outside paris and eglemont and in uh, canada so we so the hidayat the agakhan's been building these parks across the world uh, where they become you know refuge of trying to get away from urban life and people from across all communities all economic classes and so on now coming to your question you know i spent my childhood living in uh, the south delhi colony of south extension south extension was built by a private builder 
in the 1950s, 60s. And even though it was considered sort of upper middle class and so on, unfortunately, there was not one single open space in the whole neighborhood. So no park. Fortunately, right adjacent to our house, 15th century monument with about, uh, you know, a handkerchief-sized open space next to it. So that was really our playground, the monument. What was it called? Kale Khan Ka Gumbal. Wow. But it's right in South Extension Part 1. And for me, I mean, if you ask me for a childhood experience, that's what it is, you know. Spent my whole childhood playing in this uh, Lodi period ruin. What made you build a biodiversity park in the middle of Nizamati? I can understand the other elements. They are they seem to relate to what we know of the Mughal period items like the water bodies and trees and the tombs. But why a biodiversity park? Well, question is why not? The thing is, it's not only in Sundar Nursery that we have built a proper biodiversity park. But the project that uh, we at the Agra Khan Trust for Culture are doing in partnership with the Central Public Works Department, the ASI and the Municipal Corporation, has meant that we've really worked across 300 acres in Nizamuddin Humayun's room and Sundar Nursery. And we've created pockets of biodiversity across these three sites. So at Humayun's tomb, when you go in, you've got this whole pocket of what used to be a, you know, what they called a rose garden is now flush with trees and vegetation and so on. So it is a big biodiversity park even within within Humayun's tomb. At Sundar Nursery, it made absolute sense. Ecology and heritage need to go hand in hand. And in today's day and age, you know, when we're talking about environment, climate change, we cannot really ignore the fact. So what was very special for us was the fact that we're working in the heart of the national capital. And even though the small 30, 40 acre of biodiversity or wilderness that we've created is not likely to have a environmental impact on the city of Delhi, but what it does is the Humayun Stream is visited by 2 million visitors a year. Last year, Sundar Nursery pre-COVID had 300,000 visitors a year. So the intention behind the wilderness, the ecological zone, biodiversity park, whatever you call it, is to spread awareness on native flora, native uh, fauna, and couple conservation of the built heritage with conservation of the environment. So a lot of people come to Sundar Nursery and say, uh, you know, you've not fixed this area. Well, we have. This used to be a rubble dumping ground. We removed over 400 truckloads of construction rubble to create a designed wilderness. And for many people, that is the favorite place in Sundanar. And uh, it's incredible that we've now got over 100 varieties of bird species nesting here. We've got insects which we didn't even know exist who have reclaimed the space. The other day, I had a group who were getting very excited about something called a water scorpion. I didn't even know what it was, but apparently it's very rare and they found some at the nursery. So it's not only a refuge for people of Delhi, it's also a refuge for the birds and insects and bees of Delhi. But how would a water scorpion get to a biodiversity park? I mean, would no it be idea. by birds? No idea how these things happen. But clearly we did not do it. And apparently none have been seen before. And clearly it cannot fly like birds. So no idea absolutely how it got here. Wow. I doubt whether you'd have a biodiversity park in an original Mughal garden. Well, I mean, it depends on what you call biodiversity. I mean, if you look at the Bage Babur, for example, we've got 20 varieties of fruit trees. We've planted 3,000 trees. And in the heart of Kabul, it's become refuge. About 30 to 40,000 people go there every week. It is an ecological zone. It's, uh, the, the Mughals were also very careful in what they planted. They always planted local flora. 
they experimented a lot by getting in flora from other parts of the empire just like the british did so babur and humayun were very keen on fruit and flower and and all of that and of course we did not have grass so there were a lot of native what we now today call unfortunately weeds fascinating i didn't realize that i always thought uh, babur always came with his pomegranates and things that reminded him of his native lands i didn't realize he was also planting local flora and fauna No, Jangir has Jangir has the biggest collection of miniatures drawn in of birds and plants. In fact, the most scientific plica of a dodo, which is now extinct, was done in Jangir's kitab khana. So they were all very interested in in nature. Then, like a modern day Mughal, how are you marrying the past and present in all this work you're doing in architecture, biodiversity, water conservation, historical research, but essentially in water conservation because I'm obsessed with your water bodies in the Mughal tombs that you're destroying. So you see, again, one of the critical things for us at AKTC is post-project sustainability. So all our projects anywhere in the world, from the smallest to the biggest. are commenced only once we know how it will end and for several years we discussed with the government of india how what we are creating will be sustained into the future so we've created a management trust and chaired by the secretary of urban development but we we will continue to manage on the nursery mainly so that it is managed in the way it is designed for So the intention here is to manage on the nursery and associated elements, uh, both architecture and nature, to really run it as it's designed for. Also, and that includes both uh, sustainability of environment, uh, water harvesting, but also economic sustainability. So, in terms of water, we discovered about over ten historic wells which had been filled in, and uh, quite by chance, many all of these were discovered. So we've gone back to the original foundations of all these wells, and each well has a catchment area. So the rain actually flows back into the groundwater aquifer. Actually, the rainwater harvesting at Sundarnasri is much, much, much more intense than any visitor will ever understand. For example, the garden amphitheater really is a catchment for a large area to collect water, and the amphitheater really fills up like a huge, huge swimming pool uh, with over you know ten feet of water, and this. is connected to a well but when when it really rains cats and dogs the well cannot absorb all that water into the groundwater aquifer immediately so the amphitheater slowly releases this water over days similarly the car parking lot that we created has a huge swimming pool olympic swimming pool size tank below it which collects rain water that we will use continue to use through the year so it's both going back into groundwater aquifers uh, groundwater water going back into the groundwater aquifers but also collecting in the lake and in the wells but also in tanks that is specially built for the purpose that absolutely fascinating because i just come and see this water flowing and i don't know how especially on the central axis you've managed to get all that water out there now okay now i'm learning a little bit as we go along Yeah. So that is so. All those bodies are independent of each other. So the central axis is just one body which is recirculated. And see, the real trick, Ritika, is maintenance, 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 and maintenance. So the amount of time, effort, and money we are spending in maintaining these water bodies is not normally done. And which is why, in a city like Delhi, water bodies really become an embarrassment within a few weeks of them being built. So they are actually designed to in- enable maintenance. in that sense so when the landscape architects are doing it's designed in a manner that maintenance is easy so these are all recirculated the water is filtered uh, 100 times a day and recirculated 
But in addition, we need to use constantly 24-7 suction sweeping happens in that body. So there is always a machine hanging around that body, always two people cleaning it. So that's how you make sure it's clean. But the water is coming into it from ancient tubes or is it something modern that you've built? No, it's, it's, it's recirculating. So the water is coming in from the fountain and then it is going into and then it's recirculating. So the same water goes round and round and round. So especially across India, where I've only now realized that there are any amount of sarais, etc., which have been built over. What advice would you give to people who want to work on water conservation especially? Well, you see, it's very easy. We all need water. We've always needed water. The only problem is since piped water came in, we've stopped respecting water. So it's something that was very simple for us to do, both here and in our projects in Hyderabad, working at the Kutubshai tomb, where we've got seven, eight bowlies that seem to be the real answer. We, we just need to revive them and grade the level. We've just done a bowlie in the Humayun's tomb complex and about a large area is draining into the bowli now. And because it's draining into the bowli, the water will collect. So essentially, one of the things which I'm surprised at and shocked at is why in a country like India, we don't use schemes of the government such as the Employment Guarantee Act, called I think the Mahatma Gandhi National Employment Guarantee Act, the NREGA, to really clean up our historic water bodies. Every village had, had what they called a jod in North India. Every temple had a tank. And these have over the years just been filled up. And the British filled a lot of them because they were seen to be breeding mosquitoes for malaria and all of that. So, And a lot of them, as you say, have just totally been built up. But where they haven't, where land is available, NREGA should be really used to revive a lot of the historic tank because almost 100% of the cost in doing so is unskilled labor. And I think, you know, what, what we really need to do is catch every drop of rain. That's it. And there will be no water shortage. Is there any other advice apart from what I've asked for that you'd like to give the youngsters who might be listening in on this show? Well, I think history teaches a lot. And what we at AKTC have been trying to do here is do a model project which can be replicated. So it, it, it's, there is a role for civil society. There is a role for technical people. There is a role for government. There is a role for private entrepreneurs. We've had a lot of support from all sorts of donors. And, and what we're trying to show is this is easy to replicate. It doesn't need to be a one-off in smaller instances. But yeah, I mean, I would I would think that you cannot only do heritage without looking at the environment. You can't only do environment and not look at the heritage. It's unfortunately that, you know, a lot of people say, you know, prioritize one over the other. But in an urban situation, you cannot create Sundar Nursery, you cannot fix Humayun without ensuring that the resident of Nizamuddin Basti has access to health and education. So in that sense, our urban renewal projects has included over 100 components and and only because we're trying to sort of demonstrate what the possibilities in a historic urban situation are. Is there any place, Ratish, where we can follow your work? Yes, we have a very detailed website on the Delhi project, which will keep getting more detail. It's called nizamuddinrenewal.org. And the purpose of the website is, again, to put in the public domain a lot of our work, uh, which we're doing gradually. So eventually, all the reports and everything will be on the website. Because we have some social media pages. We've got a Facebook page for Sundar Nursery and another one for the large Zamuddin Renewal page. But there is also, the for the larger work that the Aga Khan Historic Cities Program does worldwide, there is www.akdn.org. So that is Aga Khan Development Network.org. So there are, I mean, a lot of our work is in the public domain. We are very copy left. 
So we try to share everything that we can. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Ratish. This was really a pleasure speaking to you. Cheers. Bye.